Welcome to Kimberly's Italy. Wait, let's go back to Italian. Benvenuti a Kimberly's Italy. That's much better. Mi chiamo Kimberly Holcomb. E tu? Mi chiamo Tommaso Fabuloso. Bravo! Bravo! <laughs> except except without the B. It's oh, not fabuloso. Oh. It's favoloso with a I V. I try. I try. I try. You were close. It's you like, were very close. It's like the nun slapping me in French class when I was eight. I didn't slap you. I'm just correcting I, it's you. A, it's a it's a verbal slap. <laughs> From across the recording studio, I did no such thing. All right, let's be serious here. Welcome to episode 115, which is episodio 115. And I'm just going to dive right in. I have received a multitude of emails recently asking me about the other lakes in the north of Italy. A couple of questions like, what's wrong with Lake Lugano or Lake Maggiore? Because you never mentioned them. What's up? <laughs> and I was like, geez. But the reason I refer to Lago di Como so often and the fact that we have like, what, at least three episodes on it is because of my longstanding relationship with Lago di Como and the amount of time I spent there while I lived in Italy. And all the times that we've been to Lake Como in the 27 wonderful years we've been together. <laughs> because... Today is the day we met, 27 years ago, Labor Day on a blind date. Exactly. We just thought of it the other day, like it never dawns on us until it's Labor Day weekend. We're like, oh, how many years is, has it been this year? 27 anni fa, 27 years ago. Incredible, huh? And normally he says nothing but... <laughs> What do you mean? You didn't remember either. <laughs> no, no, no. I was going to say, and then you always follow up with nothing but pure bliss <laughs> for 27 solid years. <laughs> uh -huh. All right. All right. Let's get back to, well, anyway, buon anniversario, Tommaso. Yes. If anyone needs any relationship coaching, call me. <laughs> okay. Let's get back to Lago di Como. It is very true. One one oh, sec. Can sorry. I just, I want to interject something right at the beginning before I forget. Okay. It was something I read on CNN and we're going to include this link in the show notes. Oh, right. But you, if you're planning to go next year, and this is Italy, Germany, France, Paris, wherever you're going, get it in gear because right now it's coming out in the news. It's going to be again a lot of people traveling and they're already taking a lot of bookings for 2024. So not only Italy, but everywhere is going to be crowded again. And if you want your best location, if you want the, the, the experience that you want, you have to start booking now. And this article also goes into something that is just mind boggling, mind numbingly boring to me, which is <laughs> points and points oh. for all that credit stuff. Cards yeah. And, stuff. and this has a whole section on when to book for your points and how to book early and all that stuff. We'll put the link in the show notes, but the fact is it's already starting to book up for next year. I think when you told me about it the other day, the premise was 12 months minimum was what they were trying well, to. They said six to 12 months, but okay. the fact is six months is you're, all, you're already in April. Exactly. So 
get it in gear, folks. <laughs> okay. Back to Lago di Como. It is true. My long-standing love affair with Lake Como. And actually, it's the first place I took Tommaso in Italy. Our very first trip together was to Chernobyl on the lake. You met all my friends. You saw every single inch of the lake. You Every inch. You ate your way through the entire animal kingdom on that first mm-hmm, trip. Mm-hmm. Wild boar. Yeah, we've been into that before, okay? <laughs> no reason to say those names again. Anyway, once that you saw all that you did, you realized why I love Lake Como so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And, and Sorry, go ahead. And still today when we went last you know, last winter. Yes, exactly. We were there right after Christmas. We had a lovely dinner with my friends who funny enough are the children of my friends while I lived there. They're they're adults, young adults now with their own young kids. And here we are a whole generation later enjoying Lake Como and my longstanding friendship with so many people. I'll let you get on in a minute. But the fact is also we were there in the winter and it was wonderful, even though my special nap spot was closed. Yeah. And Harry's, but it was it was empty. It was fabulous. It was. It really, really was dreamy. All right, let's return to the reason for this episode. Those questions I mentioned at the beginning. Why don't I talk about the other lakes? And that actually made me feel that I have somewhat neglected the other glacial lakes of northern Italy. So we are devoting an entire episode to them. Ready? Andiamo. <laughs> Okay, let's start with, and I have to say that Tommaso has not been to any of the three of these, so he doesn't have much to add, except probably his future desire to go. All right, so let's start with Lago Lugano, which is the first lake west of Como. And the interesting thing about Lago Lugano is that only 37% of the lake is in Italy, with the other 67% oops, I'm so bad at math, (laughs) with the other 63% of it is in Switzerland. But funny enough, on the east side of the lake, in the Swiss part, there's this teeny little Italian enclave called Campione d'Italia. And it's literally 1.3 square miles or 3.3 square kilometers with about 1,500 residents. So this one square mile in the Swiss part of Lake Lugano dates back to the first century BC. Of course it does. (laughs) Right. Everything. Talk about the, Italy's the long tail of everything. (laughs) Yes. So the story goes that a lord from Lombardia left his inheritance to the Archbishop of Milano way back when. And for thousands of years, they somehow kept this little Italian enclave to themselves as the Swiss border grew around them. And in my day, when we would go up to Lago Lugano, we used to drive through Campione d'Italia for fun, because keep in mind, this was before the European Union formed, so you had to go through the little passport border. We drive up, we get our passport stamped in Switzerland, then go a few miles, you get your passport stamped in Campione d'Italia. The ink wasn't even dry by the time they stamped it again. Like 13 seconds later... (laughs) You get the other Swiss stamp. So it was fun. It was just like a quirky thing to do. And we did it all the time. And the small things in life that really made me happy. (laughs) Pre-internet. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. 
Lake Lugano is about half the size of Como, so it seems small in comparison. And on the drive there, like I just described, we used to go from Chernobyl up the eastern side of Lake Lugano and cross over its midsection where they have a very low bridge. It literally divides the bottom of the lake. There aren't any major sailboats down there or sailing in general. So only like a small motorboat can cross under this low bridge. But it was the shortest route to the city, quote unquote city, of Lugano, which is on the western side of the lake. And somewhere around there was this Lido. You know, I've mentioned Lido before. It means a beach club. Mm-hmm. And that was the reason we went. We went to the Lido near Lugano. And all I really remember is that it was a topless beach. <laughs> but the reason we would choose to go, like if you're, if we were in the mood for like a the beach vibe, you'd have to go to these Lidos because these glacial lakes don't have sand. Oh, it's rock. Right. That goes straight down under the water. So if you didn't feel like driving to either the West or East Coast, you know, to the beach on the sea, then you would go to a Lido, like a man-made beach. And it was fun. And this one in particular was just topless. Other than that funny tidbit, Lake Lugano is surrounded by mountains as well. So it looks similar geographically to Lago di Como. However, this isn't important, but I do think that Como's mountains have a bit more exposed rock. So the look is different. Lugano's mountains seem to be more lush with evergreen trees. So that's a slight difference, but you notice it to an extent. Well, potentially it's because the ones in Como seem a little steeper. So you're getting a little less sun. So you get a little bit more trees in Switzerland. I'm just throwing that out there. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Because you've never been, but okay. If you looked on your Google Earth, you probably came up with that deduction. I did. Okay. (laughs) Figured. Regardless of the amount of evergreens to rock it's still a stunning view lovely on a boat or while driving those narrow curvy roads that hug the coastline just like lake como so the city of lugano itself is where most people stay because it has a lovely little you know centro storico the historic center and it feels like you're in italy it's known for being Italian-speaking, even though it's in Switzerland. The cuisine, the wine, the language, all Italian while you're in Switzerland. However, like most places around the world now, there are a lot of very nice Airbnbs available around the lake. I looked deliberately to see if that had become more popular, and it has. Some were stunning. And they may be located in sleepier locations than others, but Uh, That may be exactly what someone's in the mood for, to have this beautiful view, a beautiful house, a terrazzo, you buy your local regional wine, what's not to love, right? Keep all your dough in Switzerland. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, anyway, my favorite, favorite experience in Lago Lugano was on my either 33rd or 34th birthday. I went with my friend. Kathleen that I met in Milano. She's a makeup artist I worked with. And we went for the day and we splurged and we had lunch al fresco on the waterside. And all I remember is out of nowhere came these two super flirtatious, funny, comical, and very good looking Italian men. And they followed us around the entire rest of the day like puppies until 
We got to the train station to go back to Milano. And remember, in those days, you had to have your passport to cross the borders. And luckily, these two guys did not have their passport on them. Anyway, it was a fabulous birthday, one that I can remember all these years later. Allora, let's move on to Lago Maggiore, which is almost triple the size of Lago Lugano and longer and wider than Lago di Como. Remember, Tommaso, if you're standing on one edge of Lake Como, like let's say in Chernobyl, where we were saying, it's not far across to the other. No. So you have a, a more vast sense in Lago Maggiore. It's much wider. But the one thing all three of these lakes have in common is their odd shapes. Como is like an upside down letter Y. Maggiore is kind of similar. And Lugano is just weird. Like <laughs> <laughs> all these weird like arms coming out of anywhere. But anyway, they are definitely not your average round or oval lake. That's for sure. So the northern tip of Lago Maggiore is also in Switzerland, and the main city is called Locarno. It's actually a stretch, I think, to call Locarno a city, but they do. And just like the other city of Lugano, on Lake Lugano, it is also Italian-speaking, and yet it's still in Switzerland. And I just really love how they stick to their roots. They are dedicated, and they keep the language going, and yet they pay... Swiss taxes, you know, it's quirky, but you feel like you're in Italy. Well, it's probably the same thing on the German-French border where, you know, there's there's a combination of people and whatnot. Could be. Right next to Locarno is the village of Ascona, which some of you may have heard of. It's somewhat popular. And I've been there many times, but it's mostly popular for its colorful Mediterranean-style architecture, especially being the fact that it's technically in Switzerland. And when I say Mediterranean style architecture, I mean the type of buildings and architecture that you see on the Mediterranean Sea, like in Liguria, you know. So this is a lake in a mountain. And yet you see that same colorful, like Cinque Terre. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you see that here in the lake. So I think that's probably why it's pretty popular. So the small lakeside village of Ascona has drawn significant artists and intellectuals there for over a hundred years because of a stunning retreat in the hills above the village. It's called Monte Verita. Do you know what that translates to? Verita? No. Mountain of Truth. Okay. Isn't that pretty? Yes. Verita. Monte Verita. It is now a foundation of the same name run by the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology from Zurich. Yet, when it formed this, you know, little retreat, when it formed at the beginning of the 20th century, it was a gathering place of thinkers, artists, philosophers, anarchists, communists, you name it. And what I find quirky is that it all happened in this teeny remote village on the top of Lake Maggiore in the Swiss part. It's just quirky, right? How did they all come from everywhere to this one little village at the turn of the 20th century? Word gets round. And that's a good that's a good answer. I fit in with a couple of those descriptions. <laughs> Thinkers, artists, philosophers. Ooh. I'm not an I'm not an anarchist. Bragger. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And also, before I carry on, because of all the artists that visited Ascona, all that art influence over the years 
led to them building a museum of modern art, which, Tommaso, has several paintings by Paul Klee, amongst mm. others. And he was Swiss-born. Right. And then Swiss-born German, I should say. But I loved his work forever, and that was the original impetus for my very first trip to go to Ascona hmm. many years ago. The rest of the lake, like its sister lakes, is surrounded by mountains with stately villas dotted along the coastline. But to me, I don't know, Lago Maggiore seems to attract less foreign tourists. It's Every time I've been there, it's more Italians that choose to visit there. It's not like Lago di Como, where Everyone is from around the world. It's because Giorgio Clooney doesn't go to Lago Maggiore. Yeah, <laughs> that could be. <laughs> All right. However, the most well-known villages on Lago Maggiore are called Verbania, which is right in the middle of the lake on the peninsula. It's kind of like Bellagio in Lake Como. You know how it's right on the tip of the peninsula where the legs split out. So Verbania is in that location. Then further south on the west is Baveno and Strisa. And I have been pronouncing, I have been mispronouncing that village name forever. Mm -hmm. It's Strisa. Strisa. I was pronouncing it Stressa. I know. Which I think means which. Stressed out. <laughs> anyway, both of these villages are very nice with small centro storicos, but the lore to Strisa is the history of the Borromeo family. They were the sovereigns of much of the land around Lago Maggiore between the 14th and 17th centuries. And that gave them enough time to build one of the most impressive homes in all of Italy on an island, a teeny little rock island across from Strisa called Isola Bella, which means? Beautiful island. Bravo! Even I can get that well, one. Well, you had to think for a millisecond, but you got it. Well, I wasn't paying attention. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And he's also over there yawning. All right. Okay, let me carry on because this is my show today since you're not paying attention. It's been a long weekend in Jamestown. We've had a lot of parties. All right. I'm doing just fine here, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, so... In just 400 years, Palazzo Borromeo was built on this little rock island. The palace, Palazzo, was built for the family, the Borromeo family, to live in during the warmer months, and it houses an unbelievable collection of art in everywhere. It's everywhere. Like, do pay attention to this, Tommaso. It's very interesting. On this, In this palazzo on the island of Isola Bella, all their artwork is in the hallways, the grand halls, the galleries, salons, welcoming rooms. It's everywhere. It's unbelievably beautiful. And just as impressive as the Palazzo are the Baroque gardens, outdoors, obviously, which amaze you even from the boat that you take from Strisa to the island. But when you're there in person walking through them, you see up close statues, fountains, topiary, all kinds of greenery. And what is walking around with you besides other tourists? White peacocks. Really? I kid you not. I had never seen a white peacock before in my life. Are they friendly? They, they're they so used they, to people. They ignore you. Yeah, but they span their feathers. It, it, it made it look like 
a movie. Disney movie. It was, it is unbelievable. I assume they're still there. I haven't been in like five years, but just amazing. It's truly, this palazzo on the island is a a one-of-a-kind place to visit, without a doubt. But if you do go, I suggest to all of you to read up on the history of the Borromeo family first so you can appreciate it all the more. And if you're there, I think the best time to visit is during the early spring or the very late fall when there are less crowds because that would really allow you to appreciate all the details that I just described. And most importantly, Tommaso, pay attention again. In the, He's like looking around. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes and he's going to have to spend all night editing. So, um, Happy anniversary. Here's <laughs> my present to you. 8,000 edits. Well, you're not paying attention. Okay, so in the main art gallery... There are over 130 paintings. Each and every one of them is framed in those beautiful, ornate, gold-gilded frames, right? And then what they did on one huge wall is place them together, like a half an inch apart. And they had to fit them onto the wall. So it's like a mosaic. So if you visited this Palazzo Borromeo during an off-season, you could stand in this room alone, almost alone, and soak in these 130 plus paintings that perfectly, perfectly fit onto one wall. It's really amazing. All right, back off the island and to the mainland and the village of Strisa again. The most prominent building in the village, one that you cannot miss, is the Grand Hotel de Ile Boromese. So they threw in a little French. <laughs> they decided to go French. And let me explain why. However, this was built in the 1860s. And about five years ago, I went back to Strisa on my own and parked close to the hotel because I was going to take the boat over to the Isola Bella and Isola Superiore, which is north of the Palazzo Borromeo. And I thought, well, I'm just going to have a cappuccino in this hotel because I have never been in it and I have time to spare. So I went in and all along, all the years I had visited, I assumed that this hotel had been the original Borromeo family palazzo. And then I assumed they just built the one on the island for like, you know, the summer weekend house. So I walked into the most beautiful tea room, coffee bar area I've ever seen. And the barista told me the history of this. And I looked it up yesterday to confirm because this was five years ago. He told me this. But the concept for a grand and luxurious hotel across from the Borromeo family palazzo on the island came about all due to a road. And who made that happen? Oh, no. no, Yeah. Yes. Our friend Napoleone Bonaparte. (laughs) That dude was everywhere, did everything. 99% of them good. Some little sketchy calls, but. Pretty sketchy calls. He tried to. (laughs) Whatever. I'm just going to ignore that part. He left with 400,000 men and came back with 10,000. Okay. That's a a sketchy call. Yes. Anyway, so (laughs) regarding Strisa. He ordered a road to be built in the Alps to allow for cannons and his armed forces 
to move about on less rocky terrain. Hence, when this road opened up the west side of Lago Maggiore to Europeans, these two brothers that decided to build this grand hotel actually made it happen because they thought, you know, some Europeans may like to stay in a very opulent place while looking across the water to one of the most beautiful palazzos in Italy. So they did, they made it happen and it's standing today and it's absolutely stunning. It's been renovated and added on to, but it's completely beautiful. And I'm sure that cappuccino is the most expensive one of my life. So it's on the expensive side. Correct. It's good for us though. <laughs> we can go. You can buy me something there oh, for all these edits. Oh God. All right. <laughs> I'm just going to turn a, turn my view here and not look at him anymore so I can get through the rest of this episode. Allora, let me finish with Lago Diorta, which is just spelled D apostrophe O-R-T-A. And many say Lago Diorta is the most beautiful of all Italian lakes. It's teeny, yet it is indeed completely idyllic. You do not go there to party or jet ski you go to unwind and absorb the tranquility of this picture-perfect postcard-type place. I have only ever stayed in the village, which is called Orta San Giulio, and it's fabulous because it also dates back to the 6th century. But in the future, I think I'd like to rent a little house with a lake view, obviously, and a terrace large enough to do that unwinding. That I just mentioned. With a bag of books. Yes. And a bottle of wine. Or three. <laughs> but if you do stay in the village of Orta San Giulio, you will not be disappointed. It's also ridiculously cute with plenty of more low-key restaurants. I'll, I'll phrase it that way. And there's tree-lined paths along the lake. And in this little village, a few fabulous churches as well. Then what most people do is take the ferry to Isola. As you've just now learned, that means island. They take the ferry to Isola San Giulio because how can you not stand in this cute little village, look out to this ridiculously cute island with a monastery on top? It's teeny, but it's so quaint, so everyone goes. And the main structure and the inhabitants on the island are Benedictine nuns. So... They welcome anyone to visit, yet the caveat is they ask you to do so in silence. Wow. It's interesting, right? So in my day, we did. All of us did. And you would like whisper to each other. But basically, you were in silence. We won't, we won't be doing many interviews out there. <laughs> no. But I'm wondering, I, I hope people have honored this request all along, but I'm kind of wondering about it with mass tourism right now and travel influencers. I'm wondering if they still keep this silence thing going. I hope so. Well, I know one thing that the, if it's anything like the sisters of Notre Dame that I had in grades one through eight, they enforce the rules. My knuckles. <laughs> I think you said something about your knuckles last episode. My knuckles and a ruler. <laughs> well, a couple of ferries run from the village to the island every hour. And actually, you're reminded to stay silent while you walk around because 
have these beautiful signs hanging off the building or on a post, and they're written in four languages, heralding the importance of silence. And they are, the languages are Italian, English, French, and I think the fourth is German. It's so beautiful. There is this one single stone pathway that takes you everywhere on the island, and it's called the Way of Silence. It's it's like the yellow brick road. You follow it, and you'll see everything on the island. It's just one little path. That's the whole thing. You walk it in silence, and at the end, you will enter, or you choose to enter or not, the Basilica. I say you should because you have to stop and think that It was built in the 12th century on this teeny island that was part of the monastery. And you will not believe the detail that's inside this church. And down below, buried in the crypt below the basilica, is the remains of St. Julio, who rid the island of snakes and demons thousands and thousands of years ago. As the story goes. They say it's true. Finally, on the island of San Julio, is a ristorante where you can break the oath of silence. <laughs> Everyone goes there and eats and has uh, Aperol spritz or wine and looks out to this amazing view. So in summary, it's a stunning place to visit and a very unique experience. Where else have you been recently where you have to be silent? Somebody should just do a lake tour. Just tour the lakes. Well, they do. I'm sure there's no, but I mean, several of them. I'm sure they are, but I mean... Oh, you mean you're suggesting it to our yes, listeners. Yes, exactly. Right. So instead of going to five different places throughout the country, just choose Northern Italy and do all four lakes. Como, Lugano, Maggiore, Orta. And then you guys can decide which one would I want to live in for the rest of my life. <laughs> We know which one we would go to, but... That's a question that's posed around here very often. (laughs) (laughs) Va bene. I think we're going to wrap it up here on our anniversary evening because he has a long night ahead of him. (laughs) Editing. (laughs) With all my mistakes. I'm sorry, but buon anniversario to you, Tommaso. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will be back next week. Buon anniversario. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Thank you.